Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the last lap podcast, the only Formula One podcast that currently is stroking its cat's ear. <laughs> really am. <laughs> Uh, welcome everybody, I am your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is the man who currently this week has been paying a lot more attention than I have, it's <laughs> Sean Gray. Hi guys, how's it going? Uh, yes folks, I uh, have to put my hands up and say that um, well, last weekend I had other things I was doing and I didn't actually watch the Formula 1 as it was happening, <clears throat> sorry, bad form, bad form, uh, and when I did try and catch up of it I was quite hungover and tired from the evening before, so uh, I, I have patchy memories of this race, um, <laughs> apparently I've been assured that this was actually a good thing, but uh, I guess we'll find well, out. Well it was okay, it, was, it wasn't was terrible, but um, the writing was on the wall quite early on I, I felt anyway. <laughs> like most Bahrain Grand Prix really, isn't it? Sort of kind of predictable from the first lap onwards. Well, I mean, sorry, on you go. No, 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 after you. I was just going to say, you know, I, w I went into the race, there was all this talk of uh, Mercedes might have the the qualifying pace, and they certainly did, so let's put it on pole, but the Ferrari would be, be okay because we're, they're going to match them in a race, so at least be a fight, and then it just... They just kind of never, like that never came. Like Sebastian Vettel's pace was just just one of those weird, weird races that Vettel sometimes have every now and again where he just doesn't have anything like in the car, no pace. And then so the the, the fight was kind of left to Raikkonen and, and he tried valiantly uh, on the alternative strategy, but he just he was never really getting to getting to Lewis up front and you got you're the impression that you know Lewis was doing that thing that they've been able to do and just control it and dictate things from the front and yeah you know when when there's only so many pole to checkered flag uh, races you can see and maintain your enthusiasm I, I'd certainly agree with that um so thing, sorry as well. Just the thing that I've noticed as well is the Mercedes mighty off the line as well. So you don't even get any action into the first corner. I can't remember the last time we had a pole sitter not lead the first corner. No. Like you used to, like the, the guy who's in second, even if it's Nico, he's just got as equally good a start as Lewis. So they just go in one and two. You know, it's it's really strange that they don't even seem to be able to challenge them off the line. Like, so Lewis just if Lewis puts it on pole, you know he's going to lead the first corner, and there's a ninety-five percent chance he's going to win the race. <laughs> Obviously, Malaysia was the the anomaly there. Uh, as we said at the time, we thought that that Ferrari pace was probably a little bit, you know, not realistic. It was probably mm -hmm. it was probably uh, I think we both thought at the time it was. A reflection more of the the unique conditions rather than uh, Ferrari's true pace uh, against the Mercedes, and the last couple of Grand Prix that's been proven. So well, the Ferrari has no doubt up their game, and they're they're doing really well in comparison to how they've done last year. Yeah, it's not quite the second coming of the 
the Ferrari McLaren battle of the, the late 90s, early 2000s kind of thing, where they were trading wins week in, week out. It's uh, still, Mercedes clearly still have a lot in hand. Yes. <clears throat> so, really, Lewis wasn't kind of troubled all weekend, really. He looked just like he, he, he uh, did he top everything? All, all three sessions? or was, No, no, Nicky topped a couple of sessions, didn't he, in the practice, I think. I think so. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't quite a clean team, but he just never looked... He never looked ruffled, did he? It always seemed like he was probably quite capable of, you know, putting on the extra tents to, to get pole. And, and then as soon as he was there, you just thought, oh, he's just going to pull out two seconds in front of Nico. And then... The race is over until the last 10 laps again whilst we see what happens with the tyres. Um, and I think... Do you know what I think the interesting thing was? Is somebody kind of brought this up somewhere else and it prompted me to think about it. When Red Bull had the advantage, Sebastian Vettel would hammer it out 30 seconds ahead and then never look back. And whilst that seems quite boring, at least he's going flat out to do it. Whereas this this year, it seems like Mercedes know all they need to do is be two seconds ahead of, uh, you know, the the first Mercedes needs to be two and a half seconds ahead of the second Mercedes. And if they maintain about two and a half seconds in front of the Ferraris, then the Ferraris can't do the undercut. And therefore, yeah. the, and then the race is won. So it's not even like yeah, you, and, and, you get and to see the Burks go flat out to get an advantage so that they stay ahead. Um which was always can, the rebel thing, wasn't it? It's, they can maintain that two and a half second gap, and then they're much more concerned because of the current regulations and the costings. They're much more concerned about saving energy mileage and turning things down, and just so they're happy to win. I mean, and that's you can understand them that you get the same amount of points for winning two and a half seconds as you do for twenty five seconds. So they just, like you say, they just they maintain that gap, and they'll just. They don't. They never ever have to stretch themselves, and it's more about tire management and engine management than actually, you know, going fast. Yeah, no, it's um, that's what I don't like about the the new Formula One, and it's it's the fact that it, it, because there's always times when people will turn down the wick and try and save stuff if or if they've got an, an advantage, and I I don't have a problem with that per se. It's the um, it's the whole fact that two and a half seconds is enough and it's just enough and in a way Mercedes are getting away with not being sort of painted as being Red Bull dominant because they're not pulling away 30 seconds at the start of a race but the, the only reason that they're not doing that is actually for a worse reason in that it's all about conservation Yeah, there's far too much of an emphasis on that's the right word, conservation. Whether it be tires or engine or anything, See, the that, it's like they, as soon as they go off the line, they're already thinking about conservation, right? Like immediately, like before the race, they're thinking, "How are we going to conserve in this race?" And it shouldn't be like that. It should be, "Oh, we've some, we've we've lucked into a thirty-second lead, or we've been quick enough to get into a thirty-second lead. We can maybe do a bit of conservation now." But they're already thinking about conservation before the Grand Prix. Like going into a weekend, going into a race, as soon as they're off the line, fuel saving, energy saving, tire management, whatever, and that's shit. Basically, that's not that's crap. But like, you, you 
that's negative and it's not inspiring good racing. No, uh, I completely agree. I feel saving not so much because I think that always happens regardless and always has happened. As, as soon as refueling isn't a thing, then they underfuel the cars to try and save weight and then there will always generally be a point where they look at the fuel and go, oh, we're a bit low, better not drive quite so fast so we don't run out of petrol. Uh, and that's always kind of been about. And uh, ironically, the I would prefer that because there's a sort of, you physically have to manage that by saying how fast you go. It isn't about turning the engine down or it shouldn't be about turning the engine down. It probably is with all the mappings and stuff. But the, the, the way that you save fuel is by lifting and coasting and doing stuff. Once you've spent it, there's there's nothing you can do to claw it back. You can turn the engine down so you don't waste more, but it doesn't really return it to you. The only thing that you can do to return it is do things like lift and coast and all the other bits and pieces and stay off the brake and um, accelerator pedal at the same time and, and all those bits and pieces. And I, I don't mind that because it's down to the driver. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm bored of any formula where it's a case of that the the driver has a little wheel on his steering wheel that goes from one to ten, and uh, uh, you know it, it's at ten for the first two two laps, and then they knock it down to five, and then once the re- win is secured, they can knock it down to two, and that's fine. It's never going up. There's no expediency. It's all about just you know whoop, down great off I go. Got my two and a half seconds. Now I can cruise and do, well, not you know. Yeah, it's just boring. Cruises. Yes, it's boring, isn't it? Uh, I don't, I don't see. <laughs> you might as well have people. You might watch people professionally play European Truck Simulator. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> for, for all the good it does, it's all about you know managing a distance. Well, great. That's why I really want to watch motor racing is to watch people manage a distance. There already is a formula for that, and it's called the World Endurance Championships, and it's more exciting <laughs> already. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We, we don't, you know. Uh, I understand why there is certain technologies in Formula One, but we've got to apply them in a better, a bit of a better way, as far as I'm concerned. What's the solution? Uh, well, the solution isn't things like a thousand brake horsepower engine because it doesn't make any difference. They might go faster, but the the end result is that they'll still pull out two and a half seconds in front yeah, of the car in front uh, and do it. What you need is to have things that um, balance the cars on the edge without necessarily being expensive to the teams per se. You don't want them to be going through engines and you know uh, costing the teams millions of dollars in engines because then that kills the smaller teams. But what you what you need to be able to do is not have everybody, you know, crying about or being so worried about ruining stuff that they they can't push it um so i I certainly wouldn't have a limit on the engines and say if you can afford to buy more engines then you can afford to buy more engines if you burn them out then you burn them out and it costs you money to get the other one you know to get new ones in there you go such such is life you have Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> you know you, you've cost yourself money by not looking after your engines properly but to kind of force five engines on everybody regardless i think, that, I think that's criminally too little five engines i think red bull or toro Rosso are already through about three and four and they're only two months into the season they're gonna by the end of the season toro Rosso are going to be having engine penalties every week 
Oh, just... the Red Bulls and, and Toro Rosso are absolutely, and the McLarens probably will as well. Um, by the time they get all the way through it, I think it's the McLarens silly. have been quite lucky in a way that it's been individual parts that have failed. They haven't had a total failure in the way that the Renaults seem to be blowing up left, right, and centre and completely chunking but, through the actual engine. That's been about the most exciting thing is seeing a good old-fashioned engine blow because yeah. there wasn't a lot of them for a couple a couple of years there. You weren't seeing a lot of engine blowouts, uh, but this season we've seen a few proper. You know, cylinders mm. going bang and smoke pouring out the back of the car, which you used to see every week in the 90s, and you don't see as much anymore. That, that, that genuinely I was more excited by that than whatever was going on up the front. Yeah, and I, um, I think tyres as well. I don't understand why we're limited on tyres. The, the whole point is so that they're not shipping six million tyres across the whole thing, the whole race weekend. But I don't understand. I don't get the whole, well, then you have to race on the tyres that you raced in q2 i don't care i don't care yeah. about that i'd rather that qualifying yeah, you, want them all, you want them all to have quick tires so they yeah. can go as fast as they can yeah i'm with you i don't i've never quite understood that myself i don't know just... what it i don't know what it does other than say oh we're, we're cost saving because they don't have to ship so many tires over well i i don't understand really surely what you should say is pirelli ship the tires over uh, and the teams order as many tires as they want and yeah. if the teams want to you know only order you know three sets of qualifying tires then that's fine isn't it they can do one run in q1 one run in q2 one run in q3 on the soft tire and then they have as many tires as they want for the race they probably wouldn't actually you know if if they can't afford it they'll still probably actually order less than they do if they order all the ones that they do now potentially yeah i'm with you it almost seems like regulating just for the sake of regulating you're listening to the last lap podcast the home of F1 Banter, with Andy and Sean at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Well, it's it's cost capping, but it's the cost capping in the wrong way. In that it's not you're regulating the bits of the sport that everybody actually kind of needs to put money into. In that it, people would just buy more tires and more engines. That's racing, isn't it? Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Something breaks, you buy the bit to replace it what is expensive and kills little teams is the fact that they can't keep up with the big boys in terms of development and that's where you want to cuss cop or do something that's going to not stagnate development but just prevent there being um such an arms war season to season it's just so that we get a bit consistency so that the back market teams can catch up because they can develop something that, that you know that pushes them closer to the guys at the top because the guys at the top aren't coming up with the F duct or the double diffuser or all the other bits and pieces. Let's just have some consistency for a season or two. Let's stick with this season's car until 2017 in its basic form. Let's not mess about with it and let, you know, let the other teams develop something that catches them up and then you can start changing stuff because at least everybody's closer in mm-hmm. terms of, of the technology. They don't have to be the same, but they're closer. So everybody's starting from a better foot when you start changing the regulations. But changing the regulations every five minutes only helps teams like Mercedes, Ferrari, um, and probably McLaren, really. The only three teams that you can think of that probably have the budget to really, and maybe Red Bull, possibly. But they they've seem to have shown that if the, <laughs> if the uh, regulations don't go in the way that they like, they don't do very well. So... Um, I, I don't think it. I don't think it's that difficult. 
I don't think it needs Bernie coming in and saying, yes, we're going to change all the European races to four o'clock in the afternoon or... Um, that sounds absolutely ludicrous. That's what he wants to do. This is what, what he's come out in the press. What was, what was his justification for that? Uh, so that it's more, um, it's more globally accessible to the audience. <sighs> well, to the Americans, presumably, because they're the only people that would, would require the time being shifted forward in the day. Everybody else, don't worry about the people on the eastern side of the world because, you know, they're ahead of us. And so anytime you put it back even later, puts it even later on in the night for them. But Yeah, that's just stupid, man. But Bernie just needs to, needs to go, doesn't he? I've, and I never said that. I think he does. Eh? I never I said that before, but this season he has just been... And I can't, I can't deal with his attitude about about the circuits like Germany and Monza and saying, well, if they yeah. can't afford it, they can That's go. That's my biggest bugbear about anything Wrong. in Formula One. You have mistake. You have totally misjudged your audience if you think that they're going to back you on the idea that Monza and Germany should disappear because you're giving them a bad deal. You're wrong. Mm. You you just don't get it, my friend. You don't get it when you say things like we don't need to have social media because we don't care about young fans. Wrong. Stupidly wrong. Ridiculously wrong. He may have been able to have turned F1 into a global sport, potentially. And, and what he's done in the past may well have allowed us to have a sport when no way, maybe it wouldn't have been a sport. Maybe it would have fallen and eaten itself without the likes of Bernie at the top. Uh, that was a long time ago. And the world is different. And the world is not designed for an oligarch like Bernie to say, Formula One does what I want it to do and people will just have to lump it or like it. Just There's too much communication in the world now. Everybody is interconnected. The views of fans grow and get bigger. They're not just, it's not an isolated, you know, guy sitting in his, <laughs> sitting in his house on a Sunday in a full Williams uh, 90s team regalia <laughs> waving <laughs> a little flag cap on do you know no, what I mean has to, has to have a cap man has to have a cap <laughs> the, the official cap for that year that he ordered via the ma- got, via I've mail got, on a catalogue I've got a 2004 mild 7 Renault Fernando Alonso cap sitting in my in my <laughs> office uh, that I got at Silverstone when I was there in 04 uh, it's one of my treasured possessions I think uh, it was Yarno Trulli and Fernando Alonso in the um, in the in the Renault that year, the year before Fernando won the world title. It was actually the year Trulli, like, do you remember the smash he had at Silverstone? He had an absolutely monumental crash at, at Silverstone. It was that year, two thousand four, in the Renault. But yeah, got got you got to have a cap, man. Got to have a cap. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the age of that, the kind of shut-in Formula One fan. Who never talks to anybody else about Formula no, One, gone. but it's yeah, his it's... passion. It just goes on. Everybody who with a mild interest in Formula One will probably talk about it online somewhere. Of course. Whether yeah. it's Facebook or Twitter or on a Tw- forum or anywhere. Do you know what I mean? It's... I can think of, yeah, right away, I can think of multiple places where I've read comments and things. <laughs> and they're not always informed and they're not always great. But the point is, the fans are having them and the, the fans come to a general consensus. And the thing is, is if if an idea takes hold within a community, um, it doesn't matter that Bernie's in charge and he thinks that the world dances to his little tune. 
it's going to come back and really, really bite him. And I think it's starting to. And I just don't think he knows how to deal with it. I don't think he knows and understands how to deal with a fan base that can actually turn against him. He's so used to having a captured audience that will watch whatever he wants to put on <laughs> that the, the concept that the fans might walk away from the sport or fans are walking away from the sport, I don't think really occurs to him. Or, or it certainly he looks at it and just goes, well, they just don't understand. They're not real F1 fans or uh, that's not our target audience. But it, it you won't have a target audience if you keep on turning them off by saying such ridiculous things it's just never going to be sustainable the idea of getting rid of like Monza and Hockenheim and replacing it with Azerbaijan and Sochi and places like that that's what would make that is what would make me turn off that's probably my biggest you know area of concern more than anything is is what tracks are actually there uh, because none of none of these newer tracks can even hold like in the remotest way, hold a candle to the to the old the old tracks. And if Monza can't afford to host a Grand Prix, then we should be bending over backwards to help them out and 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 give them what they need to be able to put it on, because the track is that good, and because these tracks are, hold such a an esteem amongst the fans of the sport, like it like. Who wants to get to march and look through the Formula One calendar and see all of these remote places where you you can't even imagine what the you can't even picture the track layout in your head because because it's like two years old and a load of rubbish. You when you think Monza, you can immediately see the track in your mind's eye. And the same with like Hockenheim and the same with Spa and the same with Mangi Kur. That's that to me is the biggest issue, certainly from a you know, a, an, a wider general running of Formula One kind of thing. As for the actual racing, there's there's things I would do to change an actual race day, race weekend. But but from a wider point of view, the tracks is the is the biggest one that that Bernie's is losing me on. It's uh, uh what was what was going to say? It was. You could just see it. It's like Sky Sports tweeted that Bernie was going to think of this change in the European times. And there wasn't one positive... Well, the, okay, there were like one or two positive comments and they were all from people in the US saying, that's great, I'll be able to watch Formula One at a decent time. And nobody else, no, no, nobody's sitting there just going, oh yeah, that's that sounds like a really good idea that, you know... Um, Formula One starts at one o'clock. It's in my head, you know. I get up on a Sunday, do whatever I need to do in the morning and one o'clock on the dot... That's when Formula One starts. Absolutely. Like, and you've got two or three, or nowadays a bit more, flyaway races at the start and the end of the season, which, oh, no, yeah, it's Suzuka now. Oh, we six o'clock start, yeah. But in your head, the, the main core of the Formula One season, it's one o'clock Sundays, everybody in Britain sits down to watch Formula One. That's, that to me is the way it should be. And I'm, you're going to, it's going to take, he's going to need some level of spin to convince me otherwise. Well, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, is that, <laughs> We live in a world of Sky Plus and TiVo. If you don't want to watch the race live, it's not like the only yeah. choice you have now is to video record it um, or um, watch a crappy highlights program later on because you didn't catch the race. Yeah, if someone in America wants to watch it, they could just record it and get... If they want, 
they want to get up at you know whatever 11 12 noon whatever in, in america they could just get up and immediately watch it because they recorded it from earlier on absolutely <laughs> it's not um it, these are all these all feel like knee-jerk reactions from somebody who doesn't really understand the core problems mm-hmm. about what's what is, yeah. turning fans off from formula one and they it obviously isn't because the same decisions keep on seem to be made you know week in week out we just see these stupid ideas being thrown like double points and all these things they just keep on happening and it, it, it can't be difficult to read like twitter and have people monitoring a few facebook formula one groups and um watch the reactions of people to the to these ideas and go that's nah, probably not a good idea nobody really likes that the weirdest thing is bernie's been in the sport for like 50 years he know he's he he's his entire life has been dedicated to formula one how can he possibly think someone would rather watch a Bahrain grand prix than a monza grand prix like he's been around the sport like he's obviously not stupid how can he think that that is a good idea how can he watch one of those tracks and then watch another one and and not see one is clearly more interesting and creates more of a passion what does he want like 10 shakes uh, guys in a corporate box at bahrain or a hundred thousand screaming ferrari fans at monza what's better for the sport i mean it's not difficult <laughs> come on now <laughs> No, no, I think he's, I just think he's so wrapped up in the business side of it now. <clears throat> he's really stopped seeing it for the sport and the things that as a fan, and you know, he, we're talking about a former team owner, you know, it's not like the guy That's doesn't I mean. understand, you know, what, you know, and he must have bought a Formula One team because he likes the sport. He's not like a businessman who's, you know, come from a, a CEO background or something. He's somehow sometimes seeing these kind of things where they've come in and have never worked a day in their life in the sport. But Bernie's done every job there is, right from the bottom all the way up in the teams and stuff. And then once he gave up Brabham, did the, did the, the business side. Like, he's... He's done the. He's seen it on the lower level, which is what I can't understand. But then, it's just. I guess you just have to put it down. He's, he's what eighty five and out of touch, I guess. Well, I just don't know. I just. It seems so simple, or not that it's so simple. Um, more a case that the things that he says that are so wrong seem so simple not to say. They should be obvious. That somebody should just look at him and just go, you, you don't mean that, do you, Bernie? Because that's a bloody terrible idea, mate. Don't, <laughs> don't say that. Oh, okay. And then don't say it. But it's just like, I don't know. It's like he's gone mad and nobody, <laughs> nobody's willing to pluck up the courage to go, Bernie, Bernie, I think you're losing your marbles, mate. <laughs> You've wet yourself. He can't as well. Like he is, he's mid eighties. Like, is he gonna what? Is he gonna be doing this in his nineties? Like, at what point is he gonna give it up? Like, is he gonna die before he gives it up? Like, genuinely? Like, at what point does he say, "Right, enough's enough"? Because it doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. And the man's eighty six years old. Anyway, Hmm. Bahrain Grand Prix. eh? Oh yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah. Talk talk about talk about a circuit I couldn't tell you anything about from memory. 
Yeah, exactly, and that's my problem. I can name you in most of the corners on uh, like Silverstone or Monaco or uh, Monza, but I can barely tell you a thing about a circuit like Bahrain. And we've had it for over 10 years. Yeah. And that's the issue, that we've yeah. had it for 10 years and we still don't care or don't know about it because it's just so dull. But anyway, yeah, Lewis, uh, the one thing, the, the, both the Mercedes, the only squeak that... Um, only, Time it looked like something might happen is they seem to have had a brake problem right at the end. Did you remember that? Yes. Uh, so Raikkonen, oh, the one, two, three was Hamilton, Kimi, Rosberg. Rosberg spent his whole day getting undercut by the Ferraris. Like he would be ahead of the Ferrari, both the Ferraris would undercut him, and then he would just pass them on track. And it was like rinse, repeat all the way to the end of the race. Uh, he had the pace to pass them on the track after the undercut, but the Ferrari would undercut and take over him for brief second but in the end the two mercedes were out in front raikkonen straps on the the softer tire after doing the alternative strategy so he's got the quicker tires catches them he's catching rosberg he probably would have beat rosberg on pace yeah it's the last I'm... couple of minutes and they seem to have a brake problem both the mercedes had a brake problem apparently yeah. on the last lap raikkonen passes rosberg into second total wolf completely absolved rosberg as of blame saying that it was a complete brake problem and you couldn't, couldn't do anything to stop Raikkonen getting past. I think Raikkonen probably would have got past anyway. He seemed to have the pace. Wouldn't have had the, a number of laps to catch to catch Hamilton out in front, who, despite the brake problem, managed to hang on. So that was that was the one, two, three. But the, the most interesting thing was uh, was Kimi doing the alternative strategy. That was only... If Kimi had done the same strategy as everybody else, he probably would have just... It would have just been a boring race of the line, probably. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I think, given how close it was to the end, I don't know if if Kimi would have just breezed past Nico. Uh, I I think without the brake problem, it would have not been. It wouldn't have been as close. Um, you think Raikkonen would have struggled to get past Nico? I think he'd have caught up to him as easily as he did. I just, just looking at how difficult it was for um, others to get past him at different parts of the race and how how he, the way he was driving, I just, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think it, comment, yeah. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. He pro he probably he he might have had the car under him to maybe do it, but I don't know if Nico was in the mood to just. They may have got a bit fighty and you know squeezed him off the track or something. You never know. And that's what he was doing, you know. And he, yeah. he was he seemed to be much more focused on where he was putting the car and stuff, and not getting out of shape and stuff. So I think, um, you know, it's one uh, of those things that we'll never know. I no, guess you know. But. No, I'm I'm ha and I'm happy to say, uh, Kimmy had a really good chance of beating him, but I just a lot of people seem to be saying it's a foregone. You know, oh, he would have done it anyway. And I'm like, well, you know, we'll you, you we don't know. I don't think it's as I don't think it's as cut and dry as that. But there you go. Um, I think it's interesting because was, it is yeah. the it is the opposite of the last time they had the brake problem, where it was um, Lewis chasing down Nico, and because Lewis was chasing harder, his brakes went first, and that gave Nico some time to try and work on the issue. Now mm -hmm. somebody else again online was telling me that it wasn't a brake by wire issue; it was more a software glitch. Um, and that there was, um, or maybe it was that it was a brake by wire issue, and therefore Lewis was able to reset it so he wasn't in as much trouble leading into the end of the race. 
And that just shows you the swings and roundabouts of Formula One, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Uh, you know, in the um, when it happened to Lewis, he went out of the race, and Nico got a second place behind Daniel Ricciardo. This time happens to both of them. Nico only loses a place, and Lewis goes on and wins. It's just one of those things, isn't it? It's like that's Formula One, you know. It's reliable. It's, it's always been part of the game, you know. The uh, yeah, so that was that was quite exciting. I thought Kimi might have done Lewis at the end there, especially when Lewis was the vet. Lewis's last lap was like five seconds off the pace or something. I was like, oh, can he do it? But just didn't quite come. Maybe one couple of more laps, he might have got closer. I don't know. But it's still a great, a really a good drive from Kimi, nonetheless. Uh, definitely his best drive, possibly ever for for any second stint at Ferrari. His, uh, his championship winning year notwithstanding, since he's come back to the team, that's probably one of his better drives. He's never had much to write home about last season. He hasn't exactly started this season on fire either, but that was that was pretty good from him. Certainly the first time he's comprehensively beaten, beaten Seb. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. F1, four fans, by fans. Yeah. Um, I... I there's something about Kimmy when he's in that kind of mood. It's a yeah. bit irresistible, isn't it? it just problem when he... is getting that mood out of him, isn't it? You know, you only get that. <laughs> you want that every week. If he was like that every week, he'd be a multiple world champion and not just a one-time world champion. Well, that's that's. I mean, that's certainly true enough. I think um, it, uh, the car's got to be him, isn't it? I think, and then if he gets in a groove. It, it carries on race to race. So it'd be interesting to see what the next couple of races are like for him, whether he happily, you know, yeah, sort of that's true. carries on looking really fighty or whether, you know, maybe he gets to the next race and the setup's not quite him and it puts him off again. Um, but it, like I say, he's irresistible when he's on form, really. The, there's no denying it. The guy's, you know, super. Um, what was surprising then, perhaps, is the fact that Vettel finished fifth. He didn't even finish fourth. No. He finished 40 seconds behind Raikkonen. Now, he did have an extra pit stop to change the the front wing, so I guess that's where a, a large chunk of that time comes from. But he couldn't even get past the Williams at the end there. He comes out after damaging his front wing, which was his own fault, by running wide and flooring it, going back onto the track. So you think then, okay, change the front wing and you should be able to see it home in fourth, no problem, and at least pick up some, some decent points. But he couldn't get past Bottas. He spent the last 10 laps of the race right underneath his note, right underneath his rear wing, but, but couldn't do it, which was a bit odd because, I mean, judging by the start of this season, you'd think that the Ferrari should have been able to get past the Williams. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. It was... Yeah, and I think... And you were mentioning it before, really. Um, it's it's not out of Seb's character to just have bad days like that, where he just seems to not get anything right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he does have that kind of... I think he very much likes the car, you know. I think that was proven in Red Bull last year. He likes the car done his way. And maybe similar to Kimi, if the setup isn't quite right, then... He's not. He's not Fernando Alonso, who will probably ring the car out even when it's handling badly. Seb isn't going to do that. I think we covered that last last show as well. And this just wasn't one of his 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 finest weekends. We'll see what he's like 
in, in Catalonia, hopefully back on form. Credit to Bottas, though, he defended really well, because Seb, Seb was going at him. Bottas defended well and uh, and put that Williams in fourth, which is the best it's, it's been for the last last few races. It's not been uh, as high as that, I don't think. So, well done, Bottas. Good drive from him, because he was kind of not had the greatest start to the seasons, obviously missing Australia and then yeah. having a bit of a slow start. Massa seems to have been, uh, been kind of getting the upper hand a little bit so far, so a, a much timely result for Bottas, which was good to see. What happened to Massa this race? Because they he, they qualified like fifth and sixth. He never he? got off the line. Ah. So he had to start in the pit lane and fight his way back. Oh through. yes, of course he did. So uh, that was of that. He did. That was the. I mean, as we go through the order, we'll come to him. He was tenth in the end. But yeah, I was sort of. Was probably just... one of the more interesting guys to follow, actually, because he actually had stuff to do during the race because he. <laughs> He couldn't get off the line, which you don't see, you don't see a lot of that these days. No, nope, it's You don't true. see a lot of stalls, but yeah, Massa never got off the line and uh, I had to start from the pit lane, yeah. So after that, um, it was Daniel Ricciardo, um, scarily, in his best finish for Red Bull this season in seventh. Yeah. Sixth. 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 Uh, sixth, sorry. Yeah. Looking at qualifying. <laughs> Go back to the race results. Sorry, sixth. Um, but his engine exploding quite spectacularly. Yeah, right, right on the line, wasn't it? It was <laughs> yeah. right at the very end. That's what I was saying to you earlier. Like, it was great. I love seeing these. It's, it's like it's like go back in the day, you know. I love the big, massive engine blowouts when you used to have the V10s and the V12s and that in the back. It was good fun. Not good fun if you're a, a Renault uh, engine manufacturer employee. Probably somebody will be getting an earful from uh, from Doctor Marco on the phone, probably because that was <laughs> that was. Um, not just Danny Ricks, but um, does one of the Toro Rossos go as well? I think perhaps. Uh, did not both of them go? They both didn't both finish. Go, so. so, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> somebody at Renault is going to be getting some angry, a strongly worded letter sent to them. I suspect. But Don't fair play, mind. Danny Rick. I don't actually remember an awful lot what he did in the in the race. To be honest, I don't think he did anything really. I think he I... must have just he, he, one of those he... sort of. Too far behind anybody, but too well, far in front of anybody to have he, any sort of meaningful race, I think. He started seventh, and the guy in front of him um, didn't start the race. So he finished sixth, <laughs> realistically, yeah. he gained the one place that <laughs> we didn't have to actually overtake for. So there you go. I think that pretty much sums up Red Bull completely at the moment as a yep. team. It just They are where they are, and they will finish where they are. But Best result for a while then in seventh, and uh, the only man, uh, the last man, on the lead lap was uh, Romain, Romain Grosjean. Yeah, so good result for for the Lotus team, which was good to see. Uh, solid drive from Grosjean. Again, I don't remember an awful lot of what he had to do, to be honest. But um, yeah, it's certainly progress. There was def he definitely. I definitely remember seeing some overtaking from him during the middle part of the race when I was vaguely coming to out, out of. Well, maybe I might have been dreaming. Could have been past Maldonado. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> no, it was definitely definitely Roman Grosjean. He was definitely doing something during the middle of the race. So I think he, I, I think he had some things to do. I, I think he was mainly caught out by other people stopping and then like, great. Now I've got. <laughs> I'm either defending or or fighting people and I don't really know where I am. So I think he had a, he had one of those races where he was always ending up in the mix of other people's things going on. So, um. You know, another good race from him showing his his newfound maturity. I think uh, 
to just uh, to get the results and get that car home in uh, in good points. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well done for Grosjean. Uh, anybody who listens to the show semi-regular will know I'm quite quite the fan. So please please buy that. Uh, Sergio Perez in eighth for Force India. That's uh, got to be. Um, is that the best result they've had? I can tell you off the top of my head, but it's certainly got to be it's, up there. It's not going to be much more than that, even is it? It's going to only be a seventh for Hulkenberg in the previous race. Strange to see Sergio doing so well and Hulkenberg not. But did something happen to Hulkenberg as well? I can't remember. I can't understand why he was so far back. Something must have happened to him in the race, mustn't it? Um, I can't remember to be honest. Oh no! Wait, no. He started. He started down, didn't he? Didn't qualify. Uh, did he not get a Q three or something? Sure. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. Let me. Oh, so there's something. Definitely something. No, he he qualified eighth, and Sergio Perez eleventh. So wasn't that? I wonder why. I don't know. I don't remember. I really don't remember. Let's find out. But whilst you're finding out, we'll skip Sergio Perez because I literally don't remember anything about his race. Um, Danny, Danny Fiat in ninth place for Red Bull. Um, uh, oh no, he went out in Q1. That was it. So that's a very that's that's a pretty good um, that's a pretty good result for. For Danny, really, he's had a few really poor races recently, but that's that's pretty impressive to get up from uh, sort of seventeenth on on the grid to ninth. He's been a bit unlucky with the oh yeah, I mean he's the dog of a Red Bull, wasn't he? So and it, if it's going to explode, it's generally been on his car. So you know he didn't start the first race, and he's definitely had more than his fair share of blow-ups. It's on fire! It's on fire! Um, so yeah, that's um, well him. You, I suppose you probably look at him and then Massa in 10th as two guys who both actually had probably the most interesting races on the grid because they both went up from the yeah the, the Massa spent all of his day fighting uh, you know because like you say he had to pass everybody in front of him so it was he was probably the more interesting guy to watch uh, outside of maybe Raikkonen so I think he had um, he didn't have the greatest luck even after he got off the line master uh, i'm sure he had to fight a lot and i think he yeah, came up I think he, he came up against a lot of guys because he came up against the salvers i think more than once um and maldonado and stuff and i think they just the the williams isn't so much faster than them that they're obvious and easy overtakes necessarily so i think he got up you know got up to about sort of 15th or 14th and then it was just a slog all the way through. Which when was... he was, I think when he was with Pastor Maldonado, Maldonado like damaged his floor as well or something. Like he hit, he, there was contact with Maldonado at one point. Eh? Well, and, uh, and, um, and uh, he was struggling for downforce, I think. So uh, that, that wasn't helping him come through the field either. You know, when you struggle from downforce. And you've also got to overtake a lot. It's not really a good combination, is it? So to get into 10th, probably a pretty good result in the end, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Given everything. At least you still got, you know, that one solitary point could be the difference somewhere along the line. You never know. So. Yeah, well, I know, absolutely. 
Um, Fernando Alonso in 11th. Yeah, the best performance the McLaren's had. And I, I think, you know, buttons, a, buttons 11th in the first race was down to the fact that so few people actually got going anywhere. Um, so I think it was nice to see that, um, you know, okay, a lot of it's down to the fact that people around where he was didn't finish. So both Toro Rosso's not being there helped because I'm probably sure that they might, they might well have been there. But he, he finished ahead of both Salbers. Um, and one force India, who I don't think had any major issues, did they? There was no. I don't know why Nasser and Ericsson were both so far back after having such you know seemingly good pace in the previous weekends. You're listening to the Last Lap podcast. No, I don't think there was anything standout. The fact that both of them were down there suggests maybe the car just didn't one of those tracks, so it didn't just they just didn't have it have the setup right or something. The car yeah. didn't suit the track. So Which I think I don't know what to say because it still didn't look very good, and he still got passed by quite a lot of people here and there. But the car was capable of enough pace to. Um, not be last you know and and being and around having fun with people and, and and racing so i think i think catalonia's got to be the acid test doesn't it you know that's probably. when the updates are coming the new engine parts as well apparently from honda as well they've got so you know this is this is the big one you know it's yeah the first european race of the season it's traditionally when the updates arrive if think- it's still really bad at catalonia it might be really bad all season kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, they'll have a chance at Monaco as well, I think, because just the track will, the track's not so um, intensive about the top speed you can get out of the car. So if the car's got some drivability in it, then that'll be a, a good place for them to, to shine, I think. But yeah, it's, it's difficult because every race seems to have been a progression with them. They do seem to have gotten better each race. It's by degrees. Do you know what I mean? It's, Certainly the performance is getting a bit better, but I don't think the reliability has got to still be a concern with well, Jensen not even getting no, know, not, even, not even getting off the line. Hey, so. I think... I mean, yes, absolutely. You know, there's no denying it that engine needs to not uh, <laughs> fall apart every five minutes. And it falls... I think the only thing that you can look at that is if you look at the Renault fails... It all seems to be big blue smoke out the back, crunching of the engine nom. <laughs> the McLaren never seems to fail in the same way twice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't, it's not like, aha, both cars have had this this problem. I think even when they both retired, it wasn't the same problem on both cars. And I think as long as it remains that kind of thing, that it's a little gremlin here and there, that just needs a tweak and a fix, then you, you iron out all of those little kinks. It's when there's something fundamentally wrong, like there is in the Renault engine, that you've got a problem because it's not a fix. It's not just a, a tweak here, a bit of duct tape on here, or a slightly you know slightly stronger cantilever here to you know balance this bit out. They're not little things that you can just tweak in the engine to make it work. They're big. They're big problems. So. That I think, in and of itself, is is something to consider. And also, 
I wonder if it wasn't for the fact that they have limited engines and they've got updates coming in Spain that they didn't just go, you know what? There's just no point in risking it because if it busts, then we can't upgrade it. So let's save the engine. You get, you'll essentially have an extra engine with the upgrades. So I think that's, that played a lot because I can't, I don't think anybody McLaren sits there and takes the decision likely to not go racing. So, yes, I'm, I'm sure it was a bad problem, but I'm sure it was also thought that, you know, let's not waste testing on a on the old spec engine when we can, you know, get the new one in in Spain and, and really work with it for longer. Which is a sad thing for McLaren to be doing this early on in in the year, but it but again, look at Red Bull; they've already gone through four engines. So, um, why you know why why cripple yourself within the first five races for no, for no real return? That's true. I mean, like I said to you in the last show, I think it's all it's like a, the whole season's going to be like a glorified test for them now. They're not going to win any races. They're not going to challenge. It's all about getting it right for next year, really. I think, which is sad that it's this uh, this early on. I think you, but you have to be looking towards that. But it's 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 the way it is with the Honda. Like you said, you've made a good point about them uh, trying something different to beat the Mercedes. There's no point in trying the same as Mercedes because you're not going to beat them. And that's a great point. Like Williams completely personify that point given like the Williams aren't progressing. They've gotten a decent car with a good engine, but they're never going to beat the works Mercedes team with that engine. So McLaren trying something different absolutely is the way forward. It's just going to be painful, isn't it? That's it at the end of the day. Yeah. Hopefully next season they're quick. Uh, I think there's... Um... Grounds for optimism? Yeah. I, I Well, I don't think there's grounds for total pessimism. Uh, okay. That's an interesting way of looking at it. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's difficult because if I sat there and said, I don't think there's grounds to worry you'd look at me funny because there's clearly grounds to worry because it, you know, it's not going very well at the moment and you can only go, you know, you can only judge on past performance. Uh, nothing is guaranteed in this world. So until it gets better, you, you can't, can't rely on that. But I just, I don't see a project between one of the best teams in formula one in terms of race setup and, and engineering and one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world is going to be some sort of little shed pet project that is allowed to stumble along and not produce results they'll get it right they just just depends when so mm -hmm. my glass half full glass half empty is that the glass is probably half empty but i i think i can see the waitress coming along with a <laughs> you know uh, with another, top up. another jack and coke to top it up so to speak, so, in the not um, too distant. In the uh, in the next position, then was uh, our favourite Pastor Maldonado, who had another uh, eventful race. Tagged Massa uh, 
was hilariously out of position on the grid, which is not something you see very often. My favourite <laughs> penalty is got that five he got a five-second stop go for, for stopping being... farther back than where he should have started. It's, it's not even that he crept forward into the wrong space. He started a space behind where he should have. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. He also had trouble in the pits near the end and had a big long pit stop. I'm not entirely sure what the problem was, a technical issue in the pits. All of that amounted to him having a, a good quick car as proven by Roman Grosjean. Yeah, he finished 15th. And that seems to be the story of Pastor Maldonado's entire career. It so pretty much does, really, doesn't it? Um... I mean, it goes back to what I said last time, but I cannot believe that the sponsorship money <laughs> he's bringing in is justifying no. the damage that he causes to the cars. But whatever. Lotus, whatever floats your boat. Uh, the only two cars that he finished ahead, sorry, was the two manners. Yeah, so. I was just going to say. Will Stevens finishing ahead of Roberto Mary by a whole lap. Um, well, Stevens has been doing that consistently. Uh, well, he has, but Roberto Mary has popped up in the press saying, A, he doesn't really know if um, he'll be driving the car after Spain, um, which probably isn't too much of a uh, a surprise. I suspect somebody with money will come in and take his seat. There you go. Um, but also, he's been suggesting that somehow that the parts that are being developed for 2015 are not being equally shared out. So it could be in a crapper car, potentially. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. You can't imagine that manner of producing you know parts all over the place so no, i exactly. can imagine that they probably do go onto one car and not the other whether they all go onto will steven's car or not i don't know we'll probably be down to how much money each of the people bring in but yeah yeah well will steven's uh, first time i actually heard him speak like in an interview this weekend he came across quite well yeah quite a likable chap so see if he gets on uh, he might do nothing. He might be another Max Chilton and just drive around at the back of grid for a couple of seasons and disappear, or he might, he might, he might move on. But he seemed like a decent chap, so I'd be interested to see how he does. You're listening to the Last Lap Podcast, the home of F1 banter, with Andy and Sean at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. So DNFs, uh, both Toro Rossos. Um, I can't remember why. Probably surely, surely not engine related. Surely not. Not the Toro Rossos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one finished on tracks and one pulled into things. So I'm assuming both electrics and en- engines. Uh, and obviously, poor old JB didn't actually get start. Electrical problem plagued all of free practice uh, and he didn't do quality. So there you go. That was the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah. Wow. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't know what to say. It wasn't the worst Grand Prix in the world. There have been worse Grand Prix than this. But it was almost like, like the manner of the Grand Prix, wasn't it? It felt very formulaic. It's like I don't know, like cheap vanilla ice cream. It's it's all right. Do you know what I mean? Nothing wrong with cheap vanilla ice cream. It's not Hagen does, is it? It's not <laughs> what you really want. It's not cookies and cream or, you know, something that explodes the taste buds. But it's okay. You know what I mean? You'd probably watch it, but I, I don't... 
I don't see how the sport is supposed to be attractive if that's if that's what we consider to be a classic race. And people were saying it. People were saying it was a really good race. And I was just trying to work out. It was just like, well, yeah. It wasn't a. It was anything but a classic. It was okay. Your analogy is perfect. It was okay. Like it wasn't dreadful. But it wasn't. It was. It wasn't. It was five out of ten, at, at best, probably. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was just average. I just. I feel like people who are calling it a classic race, either weren't watching or can't remember, like some of the races in the 90s and the early 2000s because those were classic races, you know? Belgium 1998, something like that. Classic yeah. race, you know? Yeah. Mark, Hockenheim 2001, classic race. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was just a race <laughs> that Lewis won like he has done several other times recently and will do so several more times in the near future. Nothing about this race was unpredictable. No. No, it really wasn't. And I've always felt that that was one of the one of the biggest plus points about Formula 1 in that not every team could necessarily beat every other team. But you get surprises every race. There'd always be something that kind of made you go, "Ooh, that was really interesting." And somebody might say, well, Kimi came second. Is that not interesting? And it's just like, well, it's it's not interesting if it really seems like it happened in two laps at the end of the race and brakes were involved and it wasn't a thing. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, the race didn't lead to, didn't feel like it led to that moment. It was, it just seemed lucky that it happened. And... If you take the slight lottery out of it every week, then you're right. It's just predictable. There's no, there's no real reason to watch the whole entire race. You might as well watch the start because that's when people crash and things happen, and then you might as well fast forward, you know, to lap fifty, and um, and see who won or see the last few laps because that's when. It's when, it's when the person on the other tyres is going to come into the play. If someone's doing a contrary strategy like Kimi, you may as well just fast forward to the point where he goes on to the new tyres. Because up until that point, nothing's going to happen. Everybody's just waiting for that person to strap the soft tyres on and make his charge. Yeah. And the it's... guys, in, he's just waiting, killing time until he gets to put those tyres on. And everybody in front is just killing time until he puts the tyres on so they can... Keep an eye on him and see where he is. Well, exactly. You so almost... the middle part of the race is just null and void, basically. Exactly. And that's been a problem for a couple of years now. <laughs> you might as well just say, um, we're, we're only going to have 25 lap races um, with one pit stop where you must change to the other tyre or something like that. I don't know. It's just It might as well just be a sprint race then, in a way. Because that's what it feels like. It's not about constant racing for position and getting ahead and driving as fast as you can to win you know well you see it felt more it feels like endurance world endurance doesn't it that's what it was a good example you gave but that but that works but it works because 
there is lots of jostling and, and bits going on and nothing is ever certain because it goes on for so long and there are so many other factors that can come into it but there just aren't that many other factors that come into formula one these days so the action is what it is like i say you might as well cut 30 30 laps out of the race um have the tires degrade even quicker just have really really crappy tires and say there you go you know everybody you, you qualify on the tires and then you start and we'll just see whose tires fall away and then that person wins or at least we, or, or at least we get to the point where you see how long your tires can last before you have to take a pit stop and then you can race to the end and then, and then at least it's only it's only 20 laps so it only takes you you know 40 minutes <laughs> you've not not wasted your whole day waiting to see the result that was the, you know basically who got out of turn one first and there you go at least like I say at least you haven't lost your whole entire day to something I know, really really predictable I know we've banged on about it loads in the past but the, the solution is refueling <laughs> because at least then people can completely alter their strategy and get themselves in the mix and stuff and you never know what might happen but at least it gives you something else do you know what I mean at it, least... it gives you Yano Trulli skinny fuel in the car and putting it on pole that kind of thing you know it gives you someone coming in on lap 10 and doing a 20-second pit stop and filling the car up with fuel for about 40 laps and, you know, trundling along at two seconds off the pace, but he's fueled long, so let's see how far he goes and stuff like that. Like, Or even, like, saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll light fuel in the middle of the race where everybody's going heavy on the thing and I'll try and make the medium tyres quicker. I'll try and make a quicker stint on these ones, knowing that I'll have to come in and do another stint here and there because i that's what i've got but just, it just changes make the, the entire game you know it just means that there's something else other than tires and that's the problem is that all mm -hmm. strategy is dictated by tires the undercut is the only other option yes and it's just becoming it's becoming tired it's become <laughs> no pun intended there uh -huh. but it's becoming tired it's just coming played out we've seen it all before and teams have seen it all before, so they know how to deal with it, and they yeah. just deal with it, well, and then it's done. It's two point five seconds, just to nicely take us back to the start of the podcast. It's two point five seconds, isn't it? As soon mm -hmm. as you get two and a half seconds ahead of the car in front, they can't undercut you because the undercut is never going to produce a difference greater than about two and a half seconds. Yep, and then they just come in the next lap, cover the tires, and then they come out. Yeah, okay. so they 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 come, you know they only come out half a second ahead of the other car but just pull out a two second gap and then you're ready to go again yeah unless they make a mistake as they're coming out of the pitch it's done and then we all go home or stay at home possibly so it's a very negative show tonight well <laughs> i don't think yeah. catalonia is the answer either. it's not a great track for <laughs> no. overtaking it's a pretty crap track it's long since been one of my least favorite circuits mainly because it's a test track really that's where they go to test for a reason it's, it's a great test track, but it's not a very good racing track. It 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 looks like it's been designed on a computer for a computer game, as far as I can tell. It looks like it it looks like it should be interesting, but it holds absolutely no interest. You know, the, you think you're looking at God, there's all these different sections and bits and pieces, but all they serve to do is just make, like you say, overtaking nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. So it's just a just a long, long procession. Oh well, what about the, should we do the news or? Um, I don't really know what's going on in the news. Well, let's do the news anyway. 
Funnel Up Podcast News. So something I've noticed in the news, um, well, we kind of touched on it a bit before, that uh, Roberto Mary might not be the uh, manor driver after Spain. Um, G- Gido? Guido? Guido van der Gaard's manager had apparently said um, that um, there was some contact with Manor, um, but they're not actively working towards getting Guido into the seat. Seems kind of odd because there ain't there ain't no other seat opening up for Guido van der Gaard in Formula One. Um, so either he he gives up on Formula One, I think, pretty much, or takes the seat. Um, and and that's that really. I just find it very strange, really. Of all, I mean, he's obviously newly minted with fifteen million pounds from Sauber in his pocket. That's true. Quite, it'd be quite funny to see it dumped into the money pit that is Manorusia. <laughs> really, they'll just burn that money. I think he was probably better off. He would be better off taking that fifty million and just going going on an island somewhere and sitting on his ass. <laughs> I know that's probably not his racing instinct, but that would be a more productive way of time, I think, than trundling around in that manner. You know. <laughs> I'll respect the manner, but would you, if you're Guido van der Gaard, do you want to put 50 million in that team to trundle around for a season doing nothing and then next season get replaced by the next guy that's got 15 million? Just, I, don't, I just don't see it as being a wise business investment for the, for the money. No, <laughs> not really. Um. The big story for me this week was the, uh, the Williams. The Williams accountant. Did you catch that? Oh, no. Go, fill me in. Uh, Williams, uh, what was it? Sorry, let me just double click the article. Williams not worried by a 42.5 million loss. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, I did vaguely see that. <laughs> so they probably should be worried at 42.5 million pound loss. But they claim because of the, when the, um, the accounts are done and stuff, it's because of their really, really bad season before their good season last year. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, they're saying that that's, that's the issue, basically, because they got, like, no money to, <laughs> that year because they finished uh, ninth in the Constructors' Championship. So they got really crappy prize money, and that's affected them. And they think it will be uh, much better next, 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 uh, ne- well, I mean, next year, 2016, they'll do the announcement for this year so yeah they, they they expect much better next year but yeah still 42 and a half million pound losses it's not great <laughs> for anybody no uh it isn't but I, I don't know williams don't strike me as a team that um are going to paint themselves into such a corner that they they're not already aware of yeah what they can get out of so I, whilst it's a hefty sum I don't think I'll we'll be seeing them, you know, go into administration or or anything like that. I think they, I think that they'll do certainly do well enough this season to with the prize money to to make that up as well. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, like you say, there are, there are wise there's wise old heads at that team. They probably at this stage you have to trust that they know what they're doing. I think, but uh, still not great. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, in other shocking news, uh, apparently a Singapore development consortium wants to bring back the Valencia race. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> yes. Pass on that one. 
I actually said recently, somebody said, what was the, what's the best thing um, ever to happen in the Spanish Grand Prix? And I'd say, I think my reply was when they decided to only have one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> again, uh, I also heard Jack Vilner has been talking rubbish again. Oh. Have you seen that? <laughs> I, do you know what I mean? Jack Vilner, bless, bless him. It's, something's happened to his brain. He's got the, I don't know, he's got the madness, the frothing at the mouth, rabies. It just, <laughs> I don't understand why a man who clearly had a real modicum of talent and was and lucked into being in the Williams seat and getting a world championship and then doing sod all after that and showing exactly what he had in him as a driver. It's just, <laughs> he really needs to learn how important his opinion is. I think before saying things like double world champion Fernando Alonso has clearly made a, st- a mistake in joining McLaren. It's, it's, like, a, it's the word in the face. It, it, it's like it was clearly a mistake as if he's obvious, like he's some sort of arbiter on what isn't and isn't correct. Like, like oh, if Jack says it was a mistake, then there you go. Let's all just pack up and go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just, it made me laugh, you know? Yeah. I mean, you just can't take anything he says seriously. It's just <laughs> he's got he's got the sort of F one version of Tourette's where he'll just say <laughs> anything at all that passes through his mind in a way that will get him inches in a in a newspaper column. I guess. But there you go. Uh, Force Force <laughs> India. Sorry. There um, you go. Cut across you. Um, Force India have come up with an interesting idea that um, they suggest that if Pirelli bring four will have four compounds the teams choose um which compounds they want to race at any uh any one place mm-hmm. well so you're saying that ferrari bring four compounds to say spain and then ferrari go oh we'll take the super softs and the mediums or whatever and then for cindy i could go well we prefer the hard and the softs and so you could have Two teams in the same race with completely different tyre compounds. Is that what they're suggesting? Yes, basically. Uh, the teams inform Pirelli four weeks in advance about the combinations they want for each Grand Prix. Um, tyres can be reduced in time. It doesn't cost more. The choice is then secret until the Thursday before each race. So then early on Thursday, uh, everyone is talking about what tyres their cars have on. Yeah, it certainly makes that interesting. But I go back to what we said earlier. Is I'd like other things other than tyres to be a... A determinant on strategy but yeah i mean why not it's, can't hurt <laughs> at this point i'm I'm very much open-minded for little things like this just to change is good why yeah. not let's see what happens you know i, don't I just wonder though you, you kind <laughs> of you'd have to imagine that what everybody will probably end up doing is bringing the softs and the mediums to every race because why would you go for any one of the extreme than the other yeah why true. would you do super soft and then the hard tire because one will either be too to um have too much degradation uh or the other one won't uh won't be fast enough you're listening to the last lap podcast the home of f1 banter no you, you might be right there that looks like a pretty solid theory uh, i mean uh, okay so i mean that and that's the problem is it's really in a way what you'd want them to do is on Thursday practice, they get one set of all of the tyres to test, 
and then they can make their their decisions from there and at least there's a chance that sometimes people might use different ones but again at the end of the day the delta between them is a second isn't it pretty much or one and a half seconds per tire it's not really enough to make you know to make a strategy where somebody's going to go super soft and hard because it's just there's no it's not extreme enough is it um and and it it could be worse if you know if we get a race where everybody qualifies on the super softs that gives them eight rate eight laps and then everybody jumps on this on the hard tire which lasts in the rest of the race oh god yeah that sounds horrendous (laughs) so you you don't even get the bit at the end of the race where somebody's swapping onto another tire because of degradation because everybody chooses the hard tire for a very long stint and a super soft for a very short stint and that's how everybody will do it because that's plainly pretty much got to be the fastest unless the hard tire also degrades in which case what's the goddamn point of having a hard hard tire it's just a slow tire then in which case no nobody will pick it and everybody will go on softs and mediums Uh, what to do man what to do so, Junior Schumacher's won a race. Yay! Formula Four. Happy his days. First, uh, his first career victory in any, I guess, senior senior formula. Um, yeah, 16. Uh, so, you know, be in Formula One in 12 months. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's probably... Well, no, he won't, will he? Because they've changed it. You have to be... Oh, 18 now, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No more kiddies. Um, yeah, no, fair enough. You know, it'd be nice to see what kind of kind of talent he's got. I mean, yeah. Does Ralph have a son? I could not tell you. Probably. I would. I'd like that. I'd like there to be two new like two Schumacher, the Schumacher cousins instead of the Schumacher brothers. I think that would be quite <laughs> could be quite fun. Um, I feel a bit sorry for for little Mick Schumacher because. He's going to be exactly the same as Bruno Senna, isn't it? In that the whole yeah, the world of the be... sport is just waiting for him to get to Formula One to see whether he can make it or not. And if he doesn't make it in the first season, essentially he gets completely written off as a driver. Thing is, though, he'll get he'll get chances because well, of, because of who he is. So yeah. yeah, he's going to get he will get opportunities that wouldn't be afforded Max like Max Chilton or someone like that, you know. So. <laughs> That'll be interesting to see what he does with his opportunity because I don't think there's any doubt he'll get them. It's no. interesting that he's going into Formula One, you know. Like, yeah, it's um, it's not. With it, obviously with the the like the the illness to his dad and stuff, but I, don't, that's I guess all, that didn't happen in Formula One. Like it's just the the thing they've probably grown up with. I mean, it's you know, and yeah, I guess it's worth remembering that Michael raced in a dangerous time in Formula One and was perfectly fine. Um, the sport has only gotten safer, really. It, Jules Bianchi has been the worst injury that we've had for, you know, a very long time, and that was a real freak accident in so many ways. Um, I, I guess that there just isn't. There can't be the same kind of fear that there must have been back in, you know, in a 96 or a 98 race where the sides of the car were still pretty low and wheels wheels fly off absolutely everywhere. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
the Schumacher thing, Michael Schumacher, that is, it's so, there's so little said about that, you know, in the media and the press that I could, I've got no idea how he's doing, you know, like. But it's the same as Jules Bianchi, isn't it, really? Yeah, then there's been so There was intense nothing. speculation, and then there is the point where somebody convalesces, and then the story kind of goes away because nothing interesting happens because convalescence takes a very long time, you know, months and years and stuff like that. There won't be anything until it goes one way or the other, until there's good news or there's bad news. So the story is nothing in, until then. Um, and I think... Um, there's been little appetite for uh, that kind of sensationalist journalism where people are actively trying to find out and um, kind of infringe on the privacy of both both the families. I think there's been a lot of respect about mm-hmm. what's happened. And so um, that's, that's prevented the story from becoming this sort of tabloid frenzy people were very interested at the time and then have allowed the families to go on and, and look after their family members. That, that's good. That's a, a positive thing, I think, really. You're listening to The Last Lap Podcast. Anything else in the news that you've, uh, you've picked up on? <laughs> Lewis is still the richest man, the richest sportsman, even, even without his new contract. <laughs> I saw a picture of him online the other day. He was wearing some kind of blue hat and sunglasses he couldn't look any more of a tit and it just made me just think i'm so glad i'm not young and have to be hip and trendy anymore because Mm -hmm. if i had to look like that to (laughs) go out and impress people i'd want to kill myself it was it was (laughs) embarrassing it's like a powder blue baby uh a a powder baby blue colored hat and with these round sunglasses that i don't know look like you're taking them from timmy mallet or something and a leather jacket just thinking what do you look like? And why are you the only Formula One person we ever see looking this much of a tit? <laughs> like you exactly. never see any of the younger drivers dressed up in random gear looking really... <laughs> do you know what I mean? And he's, thir- he's, he's in his 30s. He's not like he's... I'm that much older than him. But he's just so desperate to... So desperate to be cool. Ahead of Wayne Rooney. And rich. Jensen Button, Andy Murray, Rio Ferdinand, Stephen Gerrard, Jose Mourinho, Frank Lampard, Sir Nick Faldo, Ryan Giggs, Rory McIlroy. How is Jose Mourinho a British sports person? Uh, he's based in Britain, I guess. <laughs> that very that very English name, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I think it's if you live here, so. Arsene Wenger's on the list as oh, well. It's just retarded then. It's not a stupid list. But yeah, Lewis tops it all. He beats all of them with eighty-eight million pounds is worth. Pounds. Hundred and seventy-three million, I think. I believe his uh, proposed five-year contract or three-year contract. The is mad thing be. about that is, is eighty-eight million wealth. You know, that's you win the Euro Millions. You've got more money than your Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> the Euro Millions is like a hundred million. It shows how much the Euro Millions is because. These are the richest sportsmen in the world and they've got less than 100 million. I find that quite mad. I suspect it's not entirely accurate. These people must have money hidden somewhere. Surely. Well, I think the thing is, isn't it, is you can only label that on assets, can't you? It's only the things that you can tie to a person and mm-hmm. say, he owns this much property and he owns this and he owns that. It doesn't necessarily show where you've got 
stuff tied up in that's making yeah. you know other money and and all the other bits and pieces. Still, well done, Lewis. You know, well, it's a, you, it's a career if, at the end of the day. If you can get it, then that's. I've never, I've never had a problem with anyone in sport being paid a ridiculous wage because no. if you can get it, good luck to your son. Yeah. Because if and, you could uh, do it, if I, if you and I could do it, Sean. We, we would, would. We, and we'd and we'd happily take the checks. And so. I don't, I don't have an issue with the people who like. It's like people who say footballers get overpaid, but it's a private company paying them at the end of the day. And if a private company will only pay their employees what they believe they're worth, and if they believe they're worth that, then that's what they're worth at the end of the day. There's a, a footballer deserves the the money that he brings in if. He deserves his wages if if he and in turn makes that club a lot of money by qualifying for the Champions League or whatever. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm one of these people who definitely doesn't have an issue with that. So well done to Lewis, and uh, it's only going to get more if you believe, like you said, 170 million pounds a five year contract. Eh? Yeah, it's something else that. <laughs> not if it ever gets signed, he, the bloody they keep asking. They're asking Toto about it every single weekend at the Formula One. It's like, God, it'll be announced when it's announced, you know? Just, <laughs> I'm getting sick of Brundle and Co. Consist <laughs> always, what's happening with this contract? What's happening with this contract? And it's the same answer every week. It's, it's, we're working on it. Like, these things don't take overnight, you know? It'll happen when it happens. And well, he's not going to go anywhere else. He's winning every Grand Prix <laughs> without coming out of third gear. Can't see him going anywhere. No. No, absolutely. It's just, it's just the bits and pieces, isn't it? It's all of the how much, how much media stuff do I want to do? Yeah, exactly. How much of my image rights do I retain? What sponsors am I allowed to put on this and make money off myself and all of those kind of bits and pieces? A lot of people so. are saying that he's he's trying to get number one status status in the team, um, but apparently Nick Rosberg already has it in his contract that um, that can't happen. So. I think if that's what he's waiting for, then he's going to be waiting a long time. But I actually don't really believe it. I actually, one of the few things I believe about Lewis Hamilton is that he he doesn't uh, he doesn't feel he needs to be number one in a team. Yeah, he'll just win anyway. What difference does it make? He doesn't. He, I mean, he doesn't. That's one of the things I certainly can't accuse him of is having any lack of confidence in his own ability to to beat his teammate mm-hmm. you know i can imagine seb wanting number one status because he's that kind of driver and i can imagine that nico would actually quite like it and and there are certain drivers you think would thrive on that knowing that they're number one and just having that in their mind makes a difference to them but lewis i just think yeah i agree with you I he's already his biggest yeah. fan so yeah. yeah he doesn't need that ego boost he's already <laughs> i don't think you could could you once you've yeah. turned it, once you've turned it up to eleven, <laughs> there is no much more you can go. Yep, no, I agree. <laughs> so well, Barcelona next. I've still got twelve days till Barcelona as uh, at this point in time. Uh, it's a three-week gap between between races. Yeah, end of the flyway, start of the European season. Yeah. That gives me some hope that hopefully the racing will improve. Yeah, That's... plenty of time for them to get their uh, inputs. They get their. Uh, updates and upgrades on the car so let's see what we've got yeah i think i think in a way this i'm not looking i wouldn't i'm not even going to ask you what your predictions are for uh for that race because i think so far away isn't it? it it's so far away and so much can happen and uh you know i think it it you could see something really changing i don't necessarily think up front but there could be some big changes in the 
the middle of that pack. So uh, let's wait and see how th that one pans out. And I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens after Spain. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the European season's always always the sort of the best, isn't it? At the end of the day, you, we we love the European races in this country. Going back to what I said about Monza earlier and things like that, you know, you can't. As soon as Catalonia hits, you know, well, we'll get a Monaco soon, and then it'll be Silverstone and Spa. And you throw in Canada in there, which isn't a European race, obviously, but it almost feels like one to me anyway, because of when it is in the calendar and because of the type of track that it is. Feels I, I include that when I talk favorably about likes of Monza and Spa. So, yeah, no, we're done with the desert for a while anyway. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And realistically, I think that probably makes us done with this uh, this week's po podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, I think we've probably gotten this one out a bit closer on time than we have with the last, uh, <laughs> the last couple, so that's uh, always a positive. Um, if you want to keep update with everything that we're doing, then there's several ways that you can uh, get in touch with the, the podcast or keep up to date with when the episodes are released. Obviously, we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. If you uh, search for us on Facebook for the Last Lap Podcast or at Last Lap Podcast, uh, our website is www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Uh, I'm sure it is anyway. That was, <laughs> was the last time I checked. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on TuneIn. That's working again. I think I said that last time, but it's definitely working again now. Um, so there's several ways to digest the podcast whenever you want it, on the move or at home. Um, just download it and uh, listen to our dulcet tones. Take you away for the next three weeks. I don't think the podcast has actually been that long tonight, has it? You might have to listen to it more than once, I think, to get you through till Russell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, guys, for listening, and we will see you next time. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.